Andy Chapman, Strongman Academy, podcast number two. All right, today on the show, I've got Jessica Mitchell, the principal of Mayfair Lab in Baton Rouge. The reason I'm bringing her on, she's got a wonderful idea. It's a rescue dog that she turned into a therapy dog. Sounds silly, but it's incredible. And I'm going to give you the rationale of what made me think about it, and then I'm going to let her talk to you about what she does and its evolution here. In fact, I'm gonna let Jessica go ahead and introduce herself first, tell us a little bit about herself. Hello everyone, so I'm Jessica Mitchell, and as he said, I'm the principal here at Mayfair Lab. I was assistant principal here for three years before that, and for a couple years before that, I got to work with Andy at Glasgow. So, the other day, you know, we say things in our head sometimes, and we just repeat these things over and over and over in our head, and it was that morning at my house, and I've been working on intimacy with my wife, and I'm like, I just, you know, I believe in the healing power of touch. I believe in the healing power of touch, and I kept saying it, and I'm like, touch is my love language, and I just kept saying that in my head all morning. Silly, but we all say things in our heads, and if you say you don't, well, then you're lying. So um, I kept saying that all morning, and then I was on duty uh, in the gym one morning, and one of my kids, one of my homeroom leaders, uh, he has this little issue, he can't keep his hands to himself. So I'm like, James, come down here. And I was talking to him and I said, James, dude, you have to keep your hands to yourself. You have to keep your hands to yourself. You have, just don't touch anybody. And the second I said, don't touch anybody, I'm like, boom. I'm like, that's what it is. Touch is this dude's love language. And it's a lot of us, touch is my love language. And that's where it came from. When we're little babies and we're little kids, our mom hugs us, my dad hugged me, my grandmother hugged me. And by the time I was eight, nine, almost 10 years old, I'm prepubescent and I'm not the cute little baby anymore. Pimples start to show up. And, and the hugging and the touching isn't there anymore, but we're still craving it and we're still trying to find a healthy way to crave it. So I'm like, what ways do we receive that as young men and young women too to meet that need in a healthy manner so that come a couple years we're not trying to go about it in an inappropriate way by hitting on each other or seeking affection with other teenagers which we're just not ready for that you know and I thought of Jessica and I thought about Rowdy the rescue dog that's turned into a therapy dog here and I'm like this is incredible and before I even thought to get her on my podcast I've been putting off getting a family dog for like four years. Our last one, we had to put him down at four years old, and we were upset about it. And then I was like, it's just the right thing to do. And I got Mr. Wiggles, our little family uh, bulldog now, and he's great, and we love him. And he meets that need for my son, who's five, who touches his love language. So I'm going to stop talking and let Jessica tell you the story about Rowdy at Mayfair. All right. Well, that's awesome, Andy, and I'm glad that you did call me when you had that realization. Um, So, not last summer, but the summer before, my family decided to rescue Rowdy from the West Feliciana Animal Humane Society, and he was left there with the rest of his litter mates in a big Rubbermaid container overnight, and so the people there post pictures, and as soon as I saw him, I just fell in love. And he also had the same name as a dog that I had for 14 years growing up. So they had already named him Rowdy, and it just seemed meant to be. 
so I called my husband and said, hey, Josh, we have a problem. We're getting another dog. <laughs> but, um, of course, he entertains that. That's why we have four cats as well. So we got a dog. And I started bringing him to work with me because it was summer. And so it was really just myself, the principal, and the secretary. And we all enjoyed it. And they understood that being that he was so small, you know, it was good for him to be here. I could start training him and make sure that he was able to be potty trained appropriately and not just leave him at home in a crate. So that all went really well. And over a few weeks, parents started coming in with their children to take the magnet test or to take tours. And then eventually teachers started showing back up to decorate their classrooms. And even a state trooper came by to do a safety assessment of our campus. And these people would just melt. They would walk in and they would see this dog and it was so out of context for them for one thing. It caught them off guard in a great way. And then also it just made them happy. And so I said, well, I've heard some about these therapy dogs. Let me see what that really is about. And so I looked up and I found the Elaine Hunter Society that it's the Therapy Alliance actually. And um, so they have different people across the state who observe these dogs to certify them. And so I looked into that. I said, well, you know, I think we could do that. And so I went home and I went ahead and created a dog policy for Mayfair because I figured if I was going to bring this to my principal and actually say, hey, I want to try to do this every day, I needed to have some sort of plan and, you know, I need to think it out and make sure that it would work and it would be respectful to others on the campus. So created the plan. It involves things like I don't bring Rowdy into the cafeteria or areas where people are eating. Um, you know, I keep him on a leash when I take him out for walks, things like that. So I brought it to the principal and we talked about it and she was extremely open and really had no hesitation. So we said, well, let's just see how it goes. So then as time went on, we just really saw bonds form there are some teachers and students especially who really connect with him. And so we started using him as a behavior incentive for some of the children. Um, for instance, one child, if he earned a certain amount of marks in a day, positive marks, then he would get to come see Rowdy. And it made a difference with him. There was also a female student that we did the same thing with. And most of the time that helped with her. It wasn't always perfect. No, no, were these like students that had some behavior issues coming in or were they it was just kind of open to general well these were children that did have some consistent behavioral issues and so that's what led to the behavior contract and we decided to go ahead and make rowdy an actual part of that behavior contract oh, wow. so we did it for the first male student and it went so well that we said well let's try it with this student and so it it did work most days she had some moments where nothing was going to make her feel better unfortunately and we just had to deal with that and help her through it but nine times out of ten thinking about him and knowing that she would get to see him kept her on track and we would just kind of remind her at points hey remember you get to see Rowdy today if you do this or if you don't do this so that was one thing that was really positive and we started early on um, another thing is that he goes into the classrooms and especially the second grade classrooms, they like to have him in there when they read. And so he and I will go sit in there. Sometimes he just goes in there with one of the teachers, um, you know, being led by them. And he sits on the carpet with all the kids and they listen to the story. And then 
he just kind of hangs out for a little while. So so you think it's like a level of comfort and focus that just, or a level of comfort that issues focus? I do. I do. I think that for some of the children, it's such a happy thing that even that alone can kind of wake them back up and bring them back into the moment. Because some kids sitting on the rug being read to, that may not be their most exciting fun time of the day. Some kids, they may truly love it. But with Rowdy there, it adds another element of interest, you know. And um, so I think for some of them, that's why it works. They also say, and there's research, that when children read to animals, instead of reading to other children or reading to adults, they don't feel judged. And so it actually helps them to become more fluent in their reading when they practice the reading strategies, but reading to a dog. Okay, I And like so it. that's something we don't do on a regular basis here yet, but he has been in that situation before, and that's an area that we would like to integrate him more in. Another area, and this really directly relates to the love language of touch, uh, is PE. He'll go into okay. PE classes. And so when I talk about it with the PE teacher, of course, we make sure the activities for that day would lend themselves to him being there. So one of the days uh, that we like to bring him in is when the kids are doing an activity on scooters. And so he'll go in there and he basically races them. And so the kids love that because they feel like he's actually participating with them and and almost kind of one of them. But, excuse me, he'll also go up to the kids and just, you know, start nuzzling his nose in their neck. And if they let him, then he'll give them kisses and they throw their arms around him and take a little break from the scooter. And now, now let me let me ask you this. I was in here yesterday and, and I got to meet him for about 15 minutes. Nobody else in here, just me and him. He's so well-mannered. And then I watched him interact with a kid and he's so well-mannered. Did y'all train that into him or is that just his nature? Well, that is a very good question, and people really always comment on how mild-mannered he is. And I have to say, it it has a lot to do with the training in this environment. Okay. Because he knows at home, when we open up the back door to the fenced yard, and he goes out to play with his 90-pound lab brother, he can act how he wants to. Right. And he can run around and play and be silly. Um, But he also knows when we come to work that there's a certain routine that we follow for the most part. And he's been taught not to jump up, which, you know, sometimes he still makes that mistake, just like the kids, just like me. We all make mistakes. But um, for the most part, he really understands what I expect of him here. Um, As you probably saw, he has his chair in the corner. And he sits in that and watches through the window when the kindergartners go out to recess. He also sits there and watches squirrels all day. But, you know, if someone comes in and I just point to the chair, he knows that he needs to go get in the chair. And so there are a lot of cues like that that he's picked up from being here. And he actually, if I pull up in the morning and it's not busy yet, he'll actually just get out of the truck and follow me. I don't even have to put him on the leash. And he just comes straight into the office with me. And he usually beats me to the door and the teachers know. Whichever teacher happens to be walking in, they just open the door and let him in. Um, but, you know, the teachers come and sit with him on the floor and just let him climb all over them and give kisses. And there is a teacher here whose son also attends here. And every single morning they stop by the office and they have to have their time with Rowdy before they go on about their day. And Rowdy can smell them. He can actually smell them. And I'm sure he can with other people, too. There's one teacher that he hears her heels click and he knows that she's coming. 
Um, so he's really learned a lot of the people just from being in this office, you know, despite even when he oh, goes wow. out there, but just being in here, he'll become alert when he hears these certain noises or when he smells certain people. Um, so that's been really neat too. Now, just curious, uh, for y'all that don't know, Jessica's husband, Josh, is a state trooper. Has there been any of that training coming in, or has Josh just been a fan pretty much the whole time? No, there's no training like that going on. He is really just to be loved and to give love. You know, um, Josh actually does. His partner has a dog, and with what they do, they work with the dog every time they go out. So it's cool. He gets to work with the dog, and I work with our dog. But uh, those paths don't cross. Rowdy's just for love and affection. Um so, you know, we get to just snuggle him. Good I'm deal. thinking of him being a police dog and how funny that would be. It's just not in his well, Yeah, I, I wasn't even necessarily <laughs> saying was he doing police work, but did some of the training come from, because like I said, Josh, you said Josh's partner has a right. dog that works with them. Is no, any it's, training? It's wow. really been pretty minimal training. And to be a therapy dog, you know, there's not a whole lot that they really have to be able to accomplish. They have to be observed and they have to be non-aggressive they have to behave well on a leash they can't jump up on everybody and so it's really some very basic but consistent behaviors that they have to exhibit and they have to be observed multiple times in environments such as schools nursing homes things like that where you're going to have a lot of people at once and um you know they just have to show again that they're loving and affectionate and that they're not going to be aggressive Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna show my ignorance of dog breeds a little bit here. He he looks like a Catahoula hound to me, but is he uh, a mixed breed or is he Catahoula hound or do you know? Well, his coat and the fact that he has the two different colored eyes certainly he looks identical in that way to a Catahoula, but he has extremely long legs. Right. And we call him Boudin Belly because okay. he's got this long, slender body except for his stomach. He just he's a little pudgy in the middle. Um, but he also has a small head. And so Catahoulas can get very large like labs and tend okay. to have bigger paws and bigger heads like labs. So we have always thought that Rowdy's litter was probably a mix between a Catahoula and some other smaller dog. Okay. So that's we don't have any confirmation. You know, it's just kind of he's a mixed breed. But best guess, mostly Catahoula. Good deal. Yeah, I'm, and I'm glad you were, you were saying earlier there's not a lot of training involved because the number one thing I want to do here is for listeners to be able to walk away and say, hey, this is a great idea for all schools. Absolutely. How do we do it? And I think Jessica just laid out the complete blueprint of how to do it. Um, so, I mean, we love it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on, how is principal life? Year one. Uh, it is awesome. It's a lot of emails. Okay. Uh, mostly, I think that's the biggest change is that I have a lot more emails now. I will literally, if I wake up during the night to go to the bathroom, I pick up my phone and just go ahead and check the emails and see if there's anything I can knock out and respond to in that moment. Uh, but really, having been here for three years before that, I was really privileged to already have relationships with so many of the parents and, of course, the faculty and our babies. And so, I imagine it's been much more easy for me than for many other first-year principals who have had to step into schools that they were not familiar with and earned the respect and the trust from that faculty to be able to really take them where they want to take them. So I'm very fortunate in that way, and it's honestly been great. Um, The teachers are amazing. 
I feel like they haven't skipped a beat. You know, they're still continuing everything we did last year. All those programs are still happening, and everybody just chips in and does their part. And I always say this. I think it takes every person on the campus every day, all day long, to accomplish what we do. And I'm so thankful that I have them. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, uh, I always said the difference between being a principal and and an assistant. One of the biggest differences for me was as a principal, you have like 25 bosses. And as an assistant principal, you have one boss. That is very true, too. And, and so yes. I definitely, I prefer the one boss. Yeah, you're yeah. right. That is definitely I don't mind taking my marching orders and getting a little creative when I can, but doing my thing, having my one boss that I report to, yes, ma'am, what do you need done? Right. Very clear. Um, and, and, you know, when you're in the seat you're in, uh, there's a lot of people giving you a lot of direction, and you're trying to fill the, uh, the mission of the system as a whole, and then at the same time kind of meet the needs of everyone advising you. Right. No, that's very true. I will say, and, and this is honest, I feel very supported um, going through the interview process. And then as soon as I became principal, you know, from that minute on, I really have felt very supported in this position. And I think that um, they have also been patient and understanding with certain aspects, just yeah. realizing, you know, that, hey, yeah, we had to jump in July 23rd and make sure that everything was ready to start the school year and then right. never slow down, you know? So uh, have I missed the occasional email and had to apologize? Sure. So yeah, having all those bosses sending all those emails and all the meetings and things like that, it is, it is a lot, but I really do just try to keep my head here on this campus yeah. with our faculty and our kids and make sure that everything that needs to happen here is happening first. And then I do everything else that I can possibly do after that. So Awesome. Great job. Uh, last main question. Uh, what other outside-the-box character development stuff is going on at Mayfair? Well, this year, uh, I should say over the summer, I sat with our sponsor from iCare. And she is it's her second year in her iCare position. She's very invigorated. She wants to get a lot of programs into schools, and we've already done bully prevention. Uh, We've done suicide prevention. We had a kindness expo. And so while it's not necessarily outside of the box to work with eye care, it is something new to our school that we're pushing in all of these different eye care programs and doing it in such a rapid manner Yeah, because we just really felt like our kids are so intelligent, but like all children, they need help with that social development and they need help when it comes to how to interact with their peers and how to stand up for themselves and things like that. So we're kind of going with character development through these programs we're putting in. And then, you know, of course, just on a daily basis, we try to model how we want them to treat others. And, you know, we go by the philosophy of treat others the way that you feel you should be treated. And so... I don't know that anything is um, really that different than what we all try to do in schools to make sure that our kids have what they need academically and socially, but we definitely don't pass up an opportunity to try something if we feel like it could help them. Yeah. Yeah. And and like, I'm going to go back to the rowdy real quick. What I love about, about it and what I love, it's kind of what I'm doing with strong men is, have you ever heard of the concept of imposter syndrome? I believe so, so, but not clearly. Okay, so I've got this little program at this school where I help some boys out. And it's like, yeah, so it's cool, man. But no, 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 no. 
this is the biggest thing in the world. <laughs> and I'm going to go to the nines with it every day. And that's what you've done with Rowdy here and just made it an intricate part of what you've done. I gotcha. Um, I'm having Dustin LaFont uh, of Front Yard Bikes. He's going to be on the next podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. I know Dustin and, from Glasgow. Yeah. And so he just started with a few kids in his yard. Right. And now it's like a citywide program. And so I just love the idea of taking something that seems simplistic and just making it big because you believe in it and it becomes an incredible thing. Right. No, absolutely. I agree with that. And he definitely has gained interest um, from the outside as well, you know, and I do try to put out as much information about him as I can, you know, and I'm always posting on our Facebook page and everything, um, showing people how he is a part of our school. Um, but he's been in a couple publications as well. He was on the cover of In Register, and there was an article about him in July. And then the March before that, he was in Parents Magazine. And so just like you're saying through this podcast, I hope people are learning about this. I hope people are seeing that, oh, wow, well, that's possible, you know, and yeah. and believing that they can do this. They can do this at whatever school that they are at and just adjust it to how it's going to work best for their program. But it's possible. It's not difficult. And another thing, <laughs> administrators out there, listen up to this. You have angry parents sometimes. You might have an angry bus driver. I've had people who came to my door upset about something, and they see him, and all of a sudden they are laughing, and they're telling me about their dog. Oh, that's where you went with that. I thought you were going to tell me you have angry parents and bus drivers because <laughs> of Rowdy. No, not at all. I have some people that want to come in and talk sometimes, right. and they may not be so happy, but when they see him, they melt, you know, and it's not to say uh, that they forget the issue, but we deal with it, and it just, it kind of breaks that ice, and it, yeah. you know, puts everybody on a little bit different plane when they come in to approach discussing something difficult. And even the kids that have discipline issues, when they come in, when they first come in, Rowdy always is going to get up out of the chair and go see whoever it is. And I let him do that, you know. Um, also, before an adult or child enters the office, I have the baby gate there. So yeah. I do check with them to make sure they're comfortable with it. And if not, he goes into a different office while they're in here. But, um, you know, nine times out of ten, if not more, honestly, they want to see him and they enjoy it. And so I'll let him go over and say hello to the kid and have a minute or two with them and that kind of calms them down as well or if they were sad then it can kind of lift their spirit a little bit and so then when he goes back to his seat we can start that conversation and we can start it in a little better place than we would have if they had not had that diffuser when they came in the room no doubt well good deal well look we're gonna go through a lightning round now so about two minutes i want you to answer my five questions all right all right first one True or false, more people get into education to teach a subject than they do to teach children. I truly do believe that they get into it to teach children. And I think that so many of us, it's funny, you share stories with teachers, myself included. We were doing this as kids. We were setting up little classrooms in our house. There's just something about most teachers, I believe, that they have it in them. They want to help others and they want to take care of these kids. Yeah, good deal. Second question, hardest thing you've ever done? Uh, the hardest thing that I've ever done, honestly, is just been something that, uh, it was my mother passing away when I was 10, and then seeing my father struggle depression-wise without her, and then losing him when I was 20. And 
in the moment it was bad enough, but to be honest, it was the years that came immediately after his passing that were the hardest. And there were times where I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to stay in college and finish college. And, you know, so just that, that fight. And then as you get older, you realize other things that you miss from not having your parents. And so I think that probably the biggest struggle for me is just not having them and having gone through most of my life without them and learning to be able to find joy, believe that they're seeing things that are happening here on earth and that they're proud and that they're happy and that they get to see my daughter and and my husband and, you know, that my life turned out well because I always thought it was sad that they passed away before they got to see that. Wow. All right. Next question. Um, How much do test scores matter? Well, I guess it depends on who you ask. So if you ask the State Department, I guess they would say a lot. Um, This is what I believe, though. Everything that we do every day should lead us to excellent test results. Right. So I'm not waiting and, and fearing the test results. I know that as long as we are doing what we need to and we have the right curriculum and we're pushing the kids and we're supporting the kids, we're going to get those results. And so you can't focus on the end result. You need to focus on the process and then that will lead you to the end result. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a big Nick Saban thing. Nick Saban, probably the greatest coach. I know we feel a certain way about him around here <laughs> and, and I get it. I'm from here. But but he's he's like that. He doesn't care about the championships. He doesn't care about the rings. But he has an extremely detailed process. Right. And it's just all about the process. Right. So, great answer. Uh, next question. What's the first thing you look for when interviewing a teacher? I think that I hope to get that feeling that they have the with itness. I heard yeah. someone describe it as the with itness. Right. But, you know, management can be taught. Aspects of teaching can be taught. But most people, the programs they go through, what you're learning is about how to teach curriculum. You can't really learn about management until you're actually in that situation. There are a lot of things about teaching you just don't understand until you're actually in that job. And so when a person comes in the door, I like to see and feel that they just have that with itness, that they're a go-getter, that they're going to hold the line when it comes to accountability, when it comes to discipline. Um, You know, I want them to seem inspired. I want them to tell me why they want to do this. And I want it to be something that matters and not just, you know, uh, my mom was a teacher, so I'm a teacher. I'd like to hear my mom was a teacher and I saw her work so hard and she changed so many lives. And so I want to be a teacher, but you know, I just basically get a feeling and, uh, and sometimes you may not get that feeling as strong and then you weigh all the pros and cons and and you look at that person and say, well, I think that they could do this. They're just going to need some help in these certain areas. Yeah. No, I agree about that feeling. A lot of times we, we tend to play things through in our head so much we convince ourselves out of what our gut is telling us. And I, I believe we just don't go with our gut enough. Yeah. So. Yeah, I could see that. That's true. And um, Mr. Drake has always said, make a decision. It may not be the right one, but make a decision. Yeah. You know, be decisive. And that's kind of along the same lines because I think that trusting your gut feeling helps you to be decisive. Yeah. And so the more that you can trust that and have confidence in yourself, 
I think it helps you to come across more clearly. No doubt. Last question. What is the biggest missing ingredient in education today? I don't know that the world is honestly that different than it was 30 years ago. I think that people sometimes act that way. They say, oh, kids, this, you know, kids these days, they don't know how to act. Well, I think kids these days didn't really know how to act 30 years ago either. Right. <laughs> you know, so I think what's missing in education is a lot of what was missing back then. I don't know. Um, concern, the family's making it a priority, family support, you know, because I believe that we're doing what we can and, and what we need to here at the school level. So I think reaching out to those parents, making those relationships and connections with them, and helping them to help their children. So yeah. I do believe that the thing that could have the most benefit if improved would be the relationships between the families and the schools. Great answer. Thank you for coming on, Jessica. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Thanks you're for wonderful. having me. All right, guys. Great week. See y'all next week.